Let's go to God's Word this morning. Back to the book of Psalms. This morning I want to look at Psalms chapter 122. Uh, we've been looking at the various Psalms of the last few weeks, and uh, the reason why uh, we call Psalms is often been called the medicine cabinet for the soul. And so far we have looked at uh, Psalms 118 and 24 when the psalmist declares, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And we talked about living in the moment, how to live in the moment, how to live where your feet are, and making sure that each day you get up every day saying, this is God's day. I'm choosing to rejoice, and I'm choosing to be glad in the day that God has given me uh, to live for him. And then last week, we looked at Psalms 13 where David was in a desperate situation uh, and we saw where he was praying, how long, O oh Lord, will all this still be going on? And we saw David prayed the prayer, Lord, open my eyes that I can see. And so when David's eyes were open, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust in God's love and kindness. Even though what I'm going through doesn't make sense, I'm going to trust in God's faithful love in my life. And then he says, not only that, he says that I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. I'm going to rejoice in God's salvation. And let me tell you something. If you're saved today, you've got a reason to rejoice every single day. Every single day, you've got a reason to rejoice if you're saved. Psalms 122 is called a psalm of ascent or a pilgrim psalm. Now, the reason why it's called a psalm of ascent or a pilgrim psalm is because these are the psalms that were sung as the Jews ascended up to Jerusalem for one of the three annual Jewish festivals. And those festivals would be the Feast of Passover, which was a time to remember when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, out of their slavery in Egypt. There would also be the Feast of Pentecost, which was a time when they would gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate the wheat harvest in the spring year. There would also be the Feast Feast of Tabernacles, which was in the fall of the year, and it would commemorate the children of Israel's journey from Egypt to the promised land and the fruitfulness of that promised land. And so if you were an able-bodied male Jew in those times, you were required three times a year to put aside everything you were doing and go to one of these three festivals. Now, the women were only required to attend one of those festivals. But in Psalms 122, which is an ascent psalm, and we said that ascent psalms covers from Psalms 120 to Psalms 144. And if you remember Psalms 121 before we get to our text this morning, which is a very famous psalm, in Psalms 121, the pilgrims are singing about God's help during their journey. And so what the psalms were saying, what they would sing is, on this journey that I'm going through, even though there's many dangers, guess what? God is going to be my protection as I go up to Jerusalem. And so in Psalms 122 here, we are going to see that the pilgrims have finally arrived in Jerusalem. Here's what he says here. He says in verse 1, and we're going to kind of break this down. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. you got to understand something. When David wrote this psalm, there was no temple in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, David wanted to build the temple, but God told David, because you have shed much blood, 
you are not going to be the one to build my temple, but your son Solomon is going to be the one that's going to build the temple. But before there was a temple, there was a tabernacle, okay? And in that tabernacle was the very ark of God, which contained the manna, which contained Aaron's rod, which contained the Ten Commandments, okay? And so what would happen is they would set that tabernacle up in Jerusalem, and they would go there, and it was the very place of the very presence of God. And so David here shows his pleasure when he says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you got up this morning and you realized it was Sunday, what did you say this morning? I was ornery when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was sad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was mad when they said to me, let's go to church. I was apprehensive. I was too busy when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. See, David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now listen, for some people, if they would be mad or sad when they, when, when they were invited to the house of the Lord, you'd probably somebody that said this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the antique shop. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the ball game tomorrow. We should have this, a better attitude about coming to God's house than anywhere else as God's children. Do you realize that your approach or your attitude toward things makes a big difference? How you view things. See, there's a story of a cattle farmer who was hauling one of his prized bulls to the cattle sale. Well, he, there was a curve up ahead and he went around that curve too fast hauling that bull. And his truck and trailer flipped over. When the police arrived on the scene, there was that prized bull laying in the ditch with a broken leg. And so the officer did the humane thing and shot the bull. There also in the ditch was a farmer's best friend, his doll, with a broken leg. And so the officer did the most humane thing and shot the dog. The officer found the cattle farmer in the ditch and said, how are you doing? He said, I've never been better in all my life. <laughs> Do you understand how you look at things? makes all the difference in the world. How you approach things. Do you approach it with the attitude that says, I have to go to church today or I get to go to church today? Understand that? It makes a big difference when you are dragged to church or when you say, I'm going to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. But the way you approach something shows, your, shows how you really feel 
about that place. Whether you truly do cherish it or whether it's just another part of your activities. See, when, when your kids are, a, are graduating, you're going to make sure you've got blankets in the stadium at 7 a.m. so you can get you a good seat. Now, when they're not graduating, you'll get there at 7.05 after they walk in or close to it because you no longer think of it as the importance as what it is when your kids are the ones that are actually participating in this. David said, I was glad. And you got to realize, to go to God's house then, it took them a lot of time. It cost them a lot of money. But David did not look at going to God's house as a burden. He looked at it as a blessing that God had given him. To be able to walk into God. Now listen, this building here is nothing on its own. But something special takes place when God's people gather together as one body, as one family to worship him in spirit and in truth. And David said, listen, when they gave me the invitation, when they came to David and said, let's go to God's house. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Then verse 2, he says this. Notice, he says, our feet are standing within your... In other words, now he's saying, guess what? We are finally here. I was so excited. You, you ever been on a trip and you got a destination? Do you know how great it is when you're finally there verse 3 says this he says Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together now notice what he says here about this gathering he says first and foremost there's this togetherness okay that word compact signifies the connection or joining of things closely associated with each other Notice that David describes once they get there to Jerusalem, there's this closeness, there's this togetherness of gathering. There's this gathering, this togetherness, this closeness. And when you are saved, you become a part of the body of Christ. You become a part of the family of God. You become a stone of the building of God. And there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And I understand that to some extent, all of us want to be autonomous. In other words, we want to be on our own, be left alone and say, listen, I'll do it on my own. But God said in Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for man to be alone. I know there's sometimes I want to be left alone. But it's not always good to be left alone. Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes 4 9 that two are better than one. Why did he say that? Because we are always better together. We're always better together. Let me show you this out of Hebrews chapter 10. When he writes to the Hebrews there that are discouraged, they feel like giving up. They feel like throwing in the towel. And here's what the writer of Hebrews admonishes them. 
He says, since, notice these terms here. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place. Who? We. By the blood of Jesus. Verse 20. By a new and living way in which he inaugurated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. Look, verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he is faithful who promised. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good needs. Good deeds, excuse me. He says, not forsaking our assembling. And that word assembling is the word episynagoguing. What does that sound like? Synagogue. Let us not forsake the synagoguing of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. What he says there is this. When you gather together in God's house, there's this compactness, there's this togetherness that you cannot get anywhere else. You can't get this anywhere else. And when we gather together as God's people, there's a few things that's going to happen. First and foremost, we're going to see that your material needs are going to be met. In a true church, every material need of every person is going to be met. How do I know this? If you look at the early church, in Acts chapter 4, the Bible says this about that early church in verse 34. For there was not a needy person among them. In other words, because they were part of the family of God, because they were part of that church, guess what? Everybody's needs was taken care of. We're a family. And as a family... If my mom or my dad needs something and I have the ability to help them out, it is not my job to go to the church first and ask for help. If I can help them as a family member, I'm supposed to help them. Okay? As a matter of fact, whenever somebody comes along and they need money, they need bills paid. The first question I usually ask them is this, where do you go to church? And they'll say, I don't. And I say, that doesn't mean we're not going to help them. I just simply say this. I say, listen, if your situation meets the qualifications for help, we're going to help you. But I'm going to say this to you. You're more likely to get help if you'll find yourself in a local body of local believers. And then when you get in that local body, we're going to help you. And I'm going to say this to everybody in here. If you need help and we got the stuff to help you with, we're going to help you. Why? Because you're family. But I'm going to say this. The first, the really, to be honest with you, there's only two types of people the church should support. That's widows and orphans. Everyone else, if you got a family, there comes responsibility with that family. Now, if you can't help them, yeah, we go to the church. But I'm telling you, when you get together with God's family, material needs are going to be met. Not only material needs are going to be met, but your also emotional needs are going to be met. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I think it is verses around verse 8, 
I think he just put that up there. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Listen, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. What is he saying there? He's saying that as a family, when one weeps, we all weep. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. But guess what? We are here not just to get our stuff. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to build others up. So your material needs are met. Your emotional needs are met. Also your spiritual needs are met. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And then he says this in verse 2, Brethren, bear one another's burdens. What he's saying there is this, your spiritual needs are met in the house of the Lord. We are Better together. That's the reason why the Bible tells us that we are supposed to love one another. We're supposed to be devoted to one another. We're supposed to accept one another. We're supposed to agree with one another. We're supposed to serve one another. We're supposed to bear with each other. We're supposed to be, to be kind and compassionate with each other. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. We're supposed to carry one another's burdens. There's this togetherness when we gather as God's people like nowhere else. So not only is there togetherness, he also says, verse 4 of 122, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord in ordinance for Israel. The New King James Version says, when the tribe, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel. What does that mean? Well, the testimony of Israel is the ark of the testimony. In other words, inside that tabernacle was the ark of the covenant, sometimes called the ark of the testimony, which contained the Ten Commandments. And so when they gathered together, they were to receive instruction from God's law to hear what God has to say to them. One of the most important parts of every church service that you should not ever do without is the preaching of God's Word. You should hear God's Word every time you come to church. It should be an important part of our worship service. That's what Paul did when Paul went to the synagogue or the temple every Sabbath. He would say, Acts 17 2 says, according to Paul's custom, what did Paul do? He went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. In other words, it's important for us every time we come to God's house to hear the word of God, thus saith the Lord. And so not only was there this togetherness, well, not only is there this testimony or the word of God, there's also this thanksgiving. Look what he says, verse 122, 4b. He says this, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The reason why we gather together is not to hear the word, it's to give thanks to God, to worship him because of who he is and what he has done. Listen, we gather here because of God. 
Psalm 100 says this, and I mentioned it earlier. You are to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You are to give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? He says, verse 5, for the Lord is good. I don't know about you, but God has been good to me this week. He's been good to me. And he says this, and his loving kindness is everlasting. In other words, his faithfulness, his mercy, his love, it does not end. There's a lot of things that changes in your life, but God's love for you has not changed one bit this week. No matter how good you've been, or if you have fallen off the turnip truck this week, guess what? God's love is still steady. He still loves me. And he says, and his faithfulness to all generations. In other words, God doesn't change. If God doesn't change, why should our thanksgiving change? It's still the same. And so he says, we gather in God's house for thanksgiving. And how I, I would challenge you like this. Too many people, they approach church selfishly. Okay? In other words, they say, what will I get out of it? What am I going to get out of it? That's the wrong question. The real question is this. What will he get out of it? Understand that? It's not about what you get out of it. It's not your house. It's his house. It's what did God get out of my worship today? That's the reason why you can't really answer the question if somebody says, did you have a good service? Because I don't know. We'll have to ask God if that was a good service or not. Because only God knows the heart. Only He knows the intents of what we are doing. And what I'm saying is this. Listen, if you will approach it by... I'm here to bless his name. It's not about what I get out of it. What he gets out of it, you're going to get something out of it. And so he says when they got together, there was this togetherness, there was this testimony, there was this thanksgiving. And the next thing he says in verse 5 is this. He says, for there thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. So when they gathered together in Jerusalem, there were these thrones there. What does this thrones signify? It signifies the authority of God in that God is on the throne. Some of us need to be reminded frequently that no matter what is happening in our nation, no matter what is happening in our lives, no matter how out of whack it may seem. God is still on the throne. In Isaiah chapter 6, 
we read where the Bible says in the year that King Uzziah died. Now listen, Uzziah had been God's people's king for more than 50 years. He had been a good king for them. And when he died, they were now facing a lot of uncertainties. They were full of heartache. They were full of hopelessness. But where does Isaiah go during that time of heartache? He doesn't just close the blinds, so to speak, and try to get underneath this cover to say, oh my goodness, it's, it's, it's hopeless. We're all going under. No, Isaiah finds himself in the house of the Lord. And when he gets into God's house, Uzziah may not be on the throne, but guess who is on the throne? The Lord is on the throne. He is high and lifted up. And Isaiah's whole countenance changes. He comes into God's house saying, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips till he sees God on the throne. He gets touched by the power of God and he goes out and he says, here I am, Lord, send me. And I'm here to tell you, when you come to God's house, you need to leave here knowing God is still on the throne. He's still sovereign. He's still in control. What he said is going to happen is going to happen. He is still high and lifted up. Now, we live in a time when everybody is Fascinated with the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, we want to know. But we're fascinated with who's the beast? Who's the dragon? Who's the harlot? Who's the two witnesses? Who's, who's, who's all of this? And I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of these days I'm going to write me a pamphlet on Revelation. It's not going to be a book because it won't be long enough to be a book. It's going to be a pamphlet that's going to say, first of all, I don't know. But one thing I do know about Revelation is this. The word throne in these 22 chapters appears 37 times. 37 times. 37 times. And I don't believe Revelation was just written for people in 2000. It was written to those people in the first century. And they were told to pass this letter around and read it. And the reason why they were to read it was not to try to figure out is Saddam Hussein the Antichrist? But 37 times in those 22 chapters, that word throne appears. And here's my pamphlet. Page one, I don't know. Page two, we win. And all of us need to understand that when we gather into God's house, we need to always remember that he is high and lifted up that there's nothing I'm going to face this week that God hasn't already put under his feet and that we win this thing when it's all said and done. So David says here, he says when we gather at God's house, there's this togetherness. There's this testimony. There's this thanksgiving. There's these thrones. And he says this, David's petition Verses 6, 7, 8, he says this. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
May may they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord God, I will seek your good. So here we see the psalmist, his petition is for peace, shalom, safety, welfare, prosperity for Jerusalem, which is the city of peace. Why? Because when Jerusalem, let's look at it from the context of when he writes this, when Jerusalem is flourishing, they're flourishing. When Jerusalem's at peace, they're at peace. You understand that? Do you realize that in order to have strong families, you've got to have strong marriages? Right? If you've got a strong marriage, you should have a strong family. If you've got a strong family, you should have a strong church. If you've got strong churches, you'll have strong communities. If you've got strong communities, you'll have strong counties. If you've got strong counties, you'll have strong states. If you have strong states, you'll have strong nations. If you have strong nations, you'll have a righteous land and if there is peace safety welfare going on in the church the church I'm just talking about the church in general the church in general is is has peace is doing well is safe it's going to impact the community that church is in that's the reason why it's important that's the reason why God gave us the church. So you understand, all this can be boiled down like this. What David is talking about here is God's people being being at God's place, experiencing God's presence. God's people being at God's place, experiencing God's presence, having the peace of God in their life. That's the reason why David would say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to God's house today. Because if I can get to God's house, I'm going to be in a community of believers that are struggling with me, that are going through the same stuff as me, and they can encourage me. They can help lift me up and we can all together give thanks for what God has done and who he is. We can hear God's word and let God's word challenge us, let God's word convict us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can realize before we leave this place that he's on the throne. He's still high and lifted up. And we can leave this place changed with the peace of God in our lives.